1: The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by St. Louis Cardinals Baseball. Cardinal tickets are on sale now and start at $55. Details at cardinals.com slash holiday. It's the Chris and Amy Show. Check it out.
0: St. Louis, Mount City. We are going to have a great day today. Now,
1: Amy Marks Chris Ranji on KMOX.
2: Let's take it from the top.
3: Good morning. It is a Wednesday, I believe. It's a Wednesday. Amy Mark scores here alongside John Hancock filling in for my partner, Chris Ranji. How are you doing, John? Good morning.
4: Doing very well. Good
3: morning. We hope you're all doing great. It's a beautiful, sunny Wednesday, and the skies are clear, and you can listen to us clearly on 98.7. Is- 98. <laughs> 98. Got the
4: point in the wrong place. <laughs> Put the point after the 8 (laughs) and before the 7.
3: 98.7 FM along that 40 corridor. It's super clear. Of course, there's 1120 AM or the Odyssey app where you can listen to us live. Rewind if you missed a few things. And you can listen to the Chris and Amy Show podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Time now for the top of the order. The top three stories everybody will be talking about.
3: Craig Berube, the coach of the St. Louis Blues, is no longer the coach of the St. Louis Blues. He led the key team to the Cup in 2019, but they've been struggling the past year, really couple years, and he was out last night.
4: And the Biden administration appears to be shifting their policy towards uh, Ukraine and Israel. And we're going to visit with Linda Kenyon, CBS News, about that.
3: And after losing 17 more police officers last month, that's 2% of their workforce, the St. Louis City Police Department sees its lowest levels of officers on record. John Hancock in for Chris Rondi, as I mentioned earlier, and also joining us in Studio B is Tom Ackerman to uh, discuss the.
4: Sports director Tom Ackerman. Sports director
3: Tom Ackerman, <laughs> anchor of Total Information oh my AM. Gosh. Thank you. The voice of America. Hello, everybody. Craig Barubi is out, Tom Ackerman.
5: He is. Uh, he is out of a job. He was hired in 2018 as the interim coach for Mike Yo, who was fired. And famously, Baruby went on to win the first and only Stanley Cup in Blues history. Before that, Ken Hitchcock was fired. That was in the middle of the season in 2017. In February, the Blues went on to make the playoffs that year. Davis Payne was fired in the middle of the season. In November of 2011, Davis had received a contract extension and was thought to be the next big thing. He couldn't get the team together. He was fired in the middle of the season. All of these firings by Doug Armstrong in the middle of the season. The Blues made the playoffs, actually, each of those three times. Payne, Hitchcock, and Yo, as Baruby went on to win the Stanley Cup. Now he has been let go. And uh, it's going to be interesting here. Drew Bannister is the Mm -hmm. interim coach. Who knows? He could end up being the head coach. He's been running Springfield, very highly thought of at the AHL affiliate in Springfield. Went to the playoffs in back-to-back years. Uh, Took the team to a conference title two years ago. Here's the big thing, though, and that is, what is Doug Armstrong going to say here in about 20 minutes about that very firing? We have a reporter, Sean Malone, on the way uh, to cover that for KMOX News and Sports. And I'll be very curious to hear what he says. I I suspect that he's going to say something like this. We are in a period of transition. We have a roster that we have constructed, and we feel that the message from the coach and his coaching style has not gone along with this group of players, Mm -hmm. and therefore we needed to make a change. I don't personally think, if you're asking my opinion, that this is the right move. I believe that Craig Berube... Should have been given more time. I think that he is one of the best coaches they've ever had. And I think he deserved a better ending than this. I do, however, realize that in the NHL, coaching changes Mm -hmm. happen constantly. And this is actually a very long time to have a coach in one place. So it was inevitable. Something was going to happen to Craig Berube at some point. It just happened to happen late on December 12th.
4: Yeah, he was fired from the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, was Craig Berube, before he came to St. Louis. Uh, he implemented a new defensive style this year. They, they went from a sort of a man-to-man coverage in the defensive zone to more of a zone coverage. And that was working. It seems to me the problem with this team wasn't the systems. It was the execution and you saw it very clearly on the power play which has just floundered all year brutal
5: 7 but, for 83 yeah
4: but i you know i thought barubi had the right makeup uh, to lead the team now you know you and i aren't in the locker room nor is amy uh, but did he lose the locker room? Was was there a problem? Was there friction between he and Jordan Cairo? Does, has any of that been made public?
5: Well, that's interesting And that Jordan Cairo does make $8 million, and I don't know if there was friction as much as frustration not able, frustration not able to get through to the mm-hmm. player, that the player needs to be a two-way player. Uh, the players can't get fired. Now they are under contract. They could get traded, uh, but you're not going to let Jordan Cairo go and eat $8 million. (laughs) I mean, this is not happening. Yeah. So the coach is going to get it. The coach usually does get it. Uh, Doug Armstrong is the longest tenured NHL general manager. He has been there for a long time. He does have a lot of pressure on him now to deliver here, this next regime, whatever he is trying to put together to build the next playoff team. Can they be a playoff team? The way I look at this team, Andy Strickland and I actually differ on this a little bit. I had him on Total Information mm-hmm. AM in our 8:22 segment, and he believes that this roster actually can make the playoffs. I watched the game last mm-hmm. night. I actually said to my daughter out loud, "I said this team is awful.
3: They're awful. Yeah.
5: I mean, I, I and I know that they've had their bright spots, but they give up uh, three goals in one period after having a great period. They can't put three periods together, mm-hmm. let alone back to back good games together." What the heck is going on here? I did not say that I thought Baruby would get fired, but I did say to myself, something's got to change here. I didn't think they would go so far as to fire the coach this early in the season, but it is what it is. I don't see this team, it's not even close, it doesn't even closely resemble the Stanley Cup style of play. They were big, bruising players. They had big defensemen, and they controlled the game from that standpoint, and they had some... Very savvy goal scorers, but also players that played a two-way game. And you just don't have enough of those right now to play in front of a goaltender who, when he gets hot, can be one of the better ones in the league and is still the face of the franchise, and that is Jordan Bennington.
3: Yeah, and it, and it's when he gets hot. Goaltending is so tough. You don't know really what you have, I think, in a goaltender for a year and a half, we saw this in Toronto with Frederick Anderson. He was the hottest school goaltender in their league for a year and a half. And then it just ba- it just leveled off. It leveled off, and I think with the Blues, they were in a. You could call it bad luck with the timing of their Stanley Cup window. When you win a Stanley Cup, sometimes you win the cup and then you know it's over. When the Blackhawks won their last cup, it just because of the contracts, they had to disassemble the team. You knew it was over with the Blues. They had a window, I think, to win a second cup. Then COVID hits and that window closed. And when you look at the roster now, what they have six skaters who were on that Stanley Cup team. They lost a lot of the leadership. You have Jordan Bennington, who just, he's not the Jordan Bennington of January through June of 2019. He hasn't quite been that. He had some good runs, I think, leading into uh, COVID and just right after the COVID uh, shutdown. But he's kind of leveled off, and the team in front of him is just a totally different team. Berube's not coaching the same team of 2019. And I made this analogy when he took over in 2019, which is probably why I'm doing this job. Uh, talking politics. He kind of reminded me it was like the Jimmy Carter Ronald Reagan. Like Mike yo at that point was calling out players by name in press conferences saying you guys aren't showing up to work. This is Alex Petrangelo had a bad game. He was naming players and calling them out to the media and it was a very low moment. I mean you talk about a locker room that's down. That locker room was down. Yo's ousted you bring in Craig Berube and he's the whole don't let anyone ever tell you this isn't a great team this is a great team we can do this and they rallied around him there was something to that the buy I know I hate the term buy-in it's such a cliche but he was able to get that from the locker room the team he has now it, it doesn't have that it, it it's just a totally different group of guys
5: yeah I hear you man he actually it was about a year ago that he basically called his team soft And called them out and tried to he tried to do everything he could, I thought, to spark the team. And I don't think this is Craig Berube's issue. I think this is an organizational issue that they have just stalled for whatever reason. I think that one of the biggest dates in their history where you can link back to where this thing started to go south is October 12th, 2020. That was the date that Alex Petrangelo yes. signed with the That's Vegas exactly Golden Knights. Right. That's exactly right. And he was the captain of the Stanley Cup champions, and a year later, he's off to Vegas. I felt like the Blues pushed all their chips, not all, but a, a big pile of chips in the middle of the table and lost them because Petrangelo went on to be great.
4: No, he was great here. And, they
5: and, they, and, they have not been able to replace that, and that has been one of the biggest issues.
4: And they turned around then and signed Tori Krug, who's... You know, not been the greatest defenseman we've ever had here in the city of St. Louis. And they,
5: you know, they felt very highly that Colton Pareko could blossom into a right. great one. And while Pareco is an extremely very talented great. offensive player and has great speed and a great shot, it never totally came through. He believe Colton Pareko is the longest tenured athlete in mm. St. Louis right now. Yeah. Let, let alone oh, Blues wow. number one pro athlete in terms of tenure. Now that uh, Tyler O'Neill and you know some others at the Cardinals, but but Adam Wainwright, obviously. Uh, all these players. He is now the longest senior oh. one. Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, it, it's it's concerning. I don't think that it's unusual. Team, this is the third coach to be fired in the NHL already, mm-hmm. and we're just in December, and the season just started. So it happens. It's just it happens that it's Craig Berube who. You know, we'll go down in history as the one who brought the Blues their first Stanley Cup. Hopefully not their only Stanley Cup.
3: Yeah. And I, I before we go, too, I think I need or I, uh, I definitely perhaps underestimated that you call it the Moses and Aaron, the liaison voice that Alex Petrangelo was between the coach and the locker room. I think he was a much stronger tie than I gave him credit for at the time as far as keeping the coach and keeping the ear of the team. Would you say that's a correct assessment, or do you think it was more of his skill on the ice, not just off?
5: No, I think it's everything. I mean, I think it's everything. You know, when you talk about greatness, when it comes to coaches or players, there is an intangible quality of being able to tie together the room, and whether you're Craig Berube, Alex Petrangelo, Pat Maroon was really good at it, actually. Hmm. You know, he was one of those guys that he would go over to the other side of the room and say, you guys knocked that off. I mean, we are a team. We're, we're, not, we're not in clicks here. So you take care of this guy, you take care of this guy. And until you have that, uh, it can be a real issue. One thing that the Blues are trying to do here, it, what I think is kind of a hard thing to do, is they want to get their younger players established and moving here, and it does set you back a little bit because that's hard. I mean, Connor Bedard is, is a unicorn. I mean, the, there aren't many young players who just come in and flourish in the NHL. It is a different world up here. The veterans that have been around a long time that know how to do it, know how to be violent when they have to, know how to be, uh, you know, finesse players when they have to be, this is a hard thing to do at this level, and they are trying to mix in now some young players. That's why they are so hesitant, I think to bring up some younger players to, to get them into the NHL level because it is hard, man. You, you're asking them to do something that um, is very difficult. But they took Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas and they paid him a huge sum of money and turned them loose. And even they are still, Cairo more so than Thomas in my estimation, are still adjusting to the NHL style of play. It is a work in progress and unfortunately Craig Berube is out, I think that a lot is going to be put not as much on Drew Bannister but on Doug Armstrong here. Mm -hmm. He's got to be able to illustrate to his fan base that he is doing the right thing that to stay with him and to continue on what they think is going to be a very successful next stage of the franchise. They're going to have to sell their fans on that, and, and we'll see where it goes.
3: Tom Ackerman, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Amy Mark scores. Hey, we've got a full show for you today, including Bob Costas joining us at 1230. This is KMOX. John Hancock, Amy Mark scores with you on a Wednesday morning. John, the city of St. Louis dealing with crime, as it always does, but it's getting more and more difficult just by the numbers. After the St. Louis City Police saw 17 police officers leave their force last month alone. That's 2% of their workforce. They now have 912 police officers. That is the lowest level on record. The city's budgeted for 1224 police officers. Mm-hmm. So they've got a 25% vacancy rate and their police officer spokesman saying, hey, in 1995, we had almost 1,600 officers. So to see the number drop so far below 1,000 is pretty shocking.
4: It is. Now, the population is leaving as well. Uh, but I think one of the problem. well, there's multiple number of problems. The police do not perceive that they are being supported by the leadership in the city. That's a problem. Uh, there are Departments just across the city limits line where they can go and make more money than they're making here and face a lot less crime activity. So you've got that issue. Uh, You've got an overall diminution of the police's esteem by the public. And so fewer and fewer people are attracted to go into the profession of policing. So I don't think the police academies are producing anywhere near the number of graduates that they were even 10 years ago. So... All of those things conspire together, and you have this really bad morale, people leaving, and uh, no real end in sight so far as I can see.
3: I guess, too, when I look at the city of St. Louis, I there are only two incentives for becoming a cop in the city of St. Louis because— As you mentioned, you can go to Clayton, you can uh, go to Chesterfield, anywhere out in the county. Just cross the line or go way further south or west. You're going to get paid a lot more. You're going to have a lot more support, not just from that municipal government, but also the The people people, living there, the public. And be safer. And I mean, at that point... It's almost a moral obligation to go to a place where you can make more money and be safer, especially if you have a family. Yeah. So the two incentives for becoming a St. Louis city cop are you are fiercely loyal to the city, believe in the city, want to help the city and fight crime. Or you've got more malicious intent. You're just a bad cop. I mean, those are the only two incentives that I can think of because you're not going for the money you're not going for support it would be you have to your own goodwill you love the city so much well the
4: St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department was um, a gold standard for a very long time and it was one of the finest uh, units that existed in the country I mean it really was very highly regarded still quite good Uh, but you can only take so much you can only take so much of a beat down from the community and a, a crime Situation, and now you now you're putting these officers on the street. And sometimes there's there's not enough police officers in a precinct Mm -hmm. on on an overnight. They just can't even field an effective police force on the street. It's a problem. Mm.
3: He's John Hancock. I am Amy Mark scores right after the news. CBS reporter Linda Kenyon joins us to discuss the money that will be going to Ukraine, 200 million dollars, and also President Biden's controversial comments about Israel's actions in Gaza. This is KMOX. Putin
5: is banking on the United States failing to deliver for Ukraine. We must, we must, we must prove him wrong.
3: That is President Joe Biden announcing two hundred million dollars in aid for Ukraine as Volodymyr Zelensky met uh, with those in Washington, D.C. yesterday. Also, President Biden made some critical comments of Bibi Netanyahu and Israel's conduct in Gaza. And to join us or uh, join us to discuss that is Linda Kenyon, CBS reporter. Reporter Linda, thank you so much for joining us.
6: Cool, well, thank you. Happy to be here.
3: So the $200 million in aid for Ukraine, that has uh, Biden announced that that will move forward. Where are we with furthering our funding of the war in Ukraine?
6: Well, the $200 million was from previous uh, previously approved funds. The White House and uh, the spokesman for the National Security Council, Admiral John Kirby, has told us uh, repeatedly that They're running out of runway, his words, when it comes to any further funding. And that's why they need Congress to approve the president's emergency supplemental budget request, which includes funding for Ukraine in its war. Uh, against Russia, funding for Israel and its war against Hamas, funding for Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific region due to threats from China, and also $6 billion for U.S. border security. Now, Republicans in Congress have all said they support Ukraine, but only to a certain point. They say that before they worry about security overseas, they need to worry about security here at home. And they want more than just the $6 billion that President Biden put in the border security request. They want changes in border policy, in other words, immigration reform. And that is what has slowed down the process and uh, basically led the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, to come to Capitol Hill and to the White House yesterday and say, hey, we need your help now because if we don't help us, Russia is going to overrun us, and uh, mindful that there is going to be a deadline here because Congress wants to get out of town until January uh, by the end of this week. So if they don't move fast, they either do one of two things: they punt till January, or they stay in town a little bit longer to get it done.
4: CBS News reporter Linda Kenyon is our guest. Uh, the we've had our gaze so focused on Gaza for the last six weeks that we've not really seen or heard or read a lot. About what's happening in Ukraine now? I know it's uh, cold there now. Things are kind of bogged to a you know a halt. But the Ukrainian counteroffensive, I think, was less effective than many of us hoped it would be. Uh, what is there an end? Let's let's assume U.S. aid continues and European aid continues. It, what's the end game of this thing likely to look like?
6: See, that's a very hard question to answer because it's it's difficult to see. Uh, how Ukraine can continue to repel Russian advances without help from international aid. But Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, who was at the White House and on Capitol Hill yesterday, did say that, uh, that Ukraine has managed to take back 50% of the territory that Russia uh, took during the war so far, and uh, that Russia is still uh, trying to, uh, you know, uh, defeat Ukraine. But the major concern right now is that Russia is going to take advantage of the cold winter months and start targeting, again, civilian areas, most essentially the energy infrastructure, knocking out heat and electricity for the Ukrainian civilians during the cold winter months. Russia did it last winter. Ukraine was able to rebuild very, very quickly. Uh, But, you know, there's a limit to its powers, I suppose. And so, uh, will it be able to do so again? So, the end game, if you ask uh, Zelensky, uh, it's to uh, repel Russia and make sure they never come back again. Uh, If you ask Russia, uh, they have made it very clear that Putin wants to take over Ukraine and that uh, he may not stop there the concern is that he could go into the surrounding NATO nations and that becomes a real problem for the United States because the United States is a NATO member and if Russia attacks any NATO nations the US is obligated to help defend those NATO nations and vice versa so the president and Volodymyr Zelensky made the case yesterday that if Republicans do not approve this funding on Capitol Hill now we could eventually see u s boots on the ground fighting Russian troops on the ground, which is something nobody wants to see
3: well speaking of end games, when you look at the GOP push back to continuing to send funds to Ukraine, they are couching it as a a zero-sum contest with our own border and you want immigration policy to change. We need to secure our own border. Well, let's say 2024 sees a shift in who's in control in the White House or even in Congress and you have Republicans in control. Let's say they're able to close the border uh, more, or put, you know, put in more stringent policies. I don't see them suddenly jumping on the Ukraine bandwagon. It, it, the arguments made by the Republicans seem to be just, they want to become increasingly uh, isolationist, especially as the party continues has continues to have stronger currents in the populist and isolationist way.
6: Yeah, there is a lot of movement in that direction. Uh, I will say that Republicans have made a very cogent argument saying, we cannot worry about security everywhere else until we deal with security here at home. And that means the southern border. But if they are couching it in terms of demanding immigration policy changes, uh, this has been a very, very difficult subject for several administrations. And the president says he's willing to talk about that. He wants to negotiate. But, you know, if Republicans are not willing or not able to to deal with this issue themselves, and again, uh, to answer a, a, a very difficult uh, question, with many different angles uh, that have not been uh, answered in many, many years, uh, then they're at a standstill on immigration policy. If a Republican administration comes in then, uh, and a Republican-controlled Congress is in charge, then Ukraine may be facing some serious difficulties uh, when it comes to trying to repel Russia. And again, the threat is uh, right now there have been no U.S. troops involved in the day-to-day fighting. Uh, and the United States would like to keep it that way.
4: Yes, shifting our focus now back to Israel. The president made remarks yesterday, uh, I would argue, critical of Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, critical of the way Israel is prosecuting uh, its war against Hamas. Is this, uh, are we witnessing a shift in policy from the White House as it relates to Israel right now?
6: Well, the president was at a, uh, a Democratic fundraiser yesterday. Uh, during in washington dc and during that fundraiser he did make some critical remarks he did however say that the u.s stands by israel but president biden and israeli prime minister benjamin netanyahu have known each other for a very very long time they have been friends for a long time but they are not shy about criticizing each other and biden has become more critical of he says his friend Bibi. and he says that uh, one of the things that has to change in Israel is that the U.S. is demanding that there be no indiscriminate bombing of Gaza's Palestinian civilians. And uh, at the same time, however, he does acknowledge that uh, Bibi is in a bit of a bind because of the Hamas uh, terrorists are embedded within the civilian population. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation. He's also said that the international community is starting to uh, lose its support for Israel because thousands of Palestinian civilians have been killed since Hamas attacked Israel on October seventh but as National security Council spokesman uh, John Kirby has told us, uh, Admiral Kirby has said, everybody seems to forget this is his words, not mine. everybody seems to forget what happened on October seventh and and the Uh, the Hamas attack on Israel and uh, what it did to the civilian population there. And he also says everybody seems to forget the fact that Hamas has said and is expected to carry out its promise that it will attack again and again and again. So Israel's plan to eradicate Hamas uh, seems to be a good strategy for Israel, given the threat under which it is living
3: how significant is the phrase indiscriminate bombing that biden was basically accusing israel of you know having indiscriminate bombing engaging in that that support was softening because of that which seems to be almost a 180 from the united states previous narrative saying hey we support israel they have to use surgical precision they have to take as much caution as possible to limit the number of civilian casualties, but always acknowledging that Hamas creates military bases uh, where they're shooting off missiles in densely populated areas in Gaza or in hospitals or mosques. But this seemed like a 180 saying, yep, Israel, you're doing exactly what everyone said you're doing. You're just bombing indiscriminately.
6: Yeah, it's a pretty strong statement, and it could be very damaging to Israel. Uh, but the president also uh, made sure to say on the other uh, side of the phrase that uh, that the U.S. still stands by Israel and fully acknowledges that Hamas will attack again and again unless it's eradicated. The problem, and the White House has brought this up as well, is not only the deaths of Palestinian civilians in large, large numbers, but the problem is that uh, if you eradicate Hamas uh, somebody else, some other organization, some terrorist organization that also hates Israel is likely to take its place to fill that vacuum, and or a lot of the very young people right now who are being uh, affected by the Israeli bombing, you know, young men, young, young boys will grow up to hate Israel. And so you are uh, in a situation now where you're raising a, another generation of people who would want to attack Israel. So Israel is is a bit of an island unto itself surrounded by enemies. And uh, there have been a lot of allegations from a lot of the Arab nations saying that Israel is a bully. But then as Admiral Kirby pointed out to us uh, in the White House briefing room, look at the map. Look at Israel. It's surrounded by enemies. So which one is the bully? Hmm.
3: Linda Kenya, CBS News reporter. Linda, thank you so much for your time this morning.
6: Thank you. You all have a wonderful day.
3: Thank you. You too. Amy Mark scores. John Hancock here. Hancock sitting in for our good friend, Chris Ranji, who will return who knows when. Nobody knows where that guy is. Sometime.
4: A date to be named later.
3: A date to be named later. Did you see that thing? I can't believe it. Something is obviously wrong.
1: This is a joke, right?
3: Oh, my God. Are you freaking kidding me? No way.
1: you got to be kidding me. Don't feel bad. There's no way you could have known that. Now, did you see this? With Chris and Amy on the show.
3: Hey John, did you uh, did you see this? Al Michaels, know. Yeah. you know the famed broadcaster, oh, broadcaster. sports broadcaster. Yeah. He is out of NBC's NFL playoff coverage this year, and Ooh. apparently he's surprised by the move. So Al Michaels, along with Tony Dungy, were on the call for last year's Jaguar, Jacksonville Jaguars comeback over the LA Chargers, yeah. and. Apparently, people weren't thrilled with their performance. I'm trying to remember watching that game or if I remember being uh, unhappy with their lack of enthusiasm. But there's a little bit of that and just saying he's getting too old. He doesn't have the energy that's needed for the NFL playoffs. But he's 79 years old, and he's called a ton of primetime football, right, from ABC, NBC. But he's out of the playoffs how, do you, how does that strike you?
4: Well, you know, I like Al Michael, and I, I don't watch every Thursday night football game, but he does the Thursday night games on Prime, uh, and I think he does a fine job. He's a very good uh, broadcaster, very gifted broadcaster, and I hate to see people, especially as I continue my aging process, yeah. uh, to be summarily dismissed uh, like that. I mean, the guy is uh, an iconic right. broadcaster. Who's had some of the greatest calls in the history of broadcasting? So, uh, I don't,
3: I don't like it. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember him being ho hum. No, I, I mean, maybe I wasn't paying attention. Maybe I'm having too many conversations during playoff football. But I don't remember it being an issue. Nor do I remember, at least my crowd. Talking about the performance of Al Michaels. But instead, the number one team for NBC will be Mike Tariko and Chris Collinsworth, the yeah. Sunday night football And See, too. I
4: think, I think now this is gonna be unpopular, okay. I guess. I think Collinsworth is mailing it in as yes. an analyst. I really do. I I don't I don't know that the preparation is there. And the analyst position in many respects is more important in the booth because they've got to kind of pinpoint the game. Mm -hmm. I think Tony Romo at the beginning was very good because he was very current in the league. He's getting a little tiresome now, in my opinion. And uh, and Collinsworth, who I have liked throughout the course of his now long broadcasting career, I think he, he, I just feel like he's mailing it in. So anyway, that's my unpopular broadcasting opinion.
3: Chris Collinsworth is, I mean, he's fine. When I listen to him, he sounds like somebody who is just extremely pleased with every statement that he makes. Yeah. Doesn't he just sound like he's smiling yeah. at himself? Yeah. Like, the way he turns a phrase, whatever he says, it just seems like he's smiling uh, at himself because of that. Uh, John, did you see what today is?
4: Today is the 13th of December.
3: It is the 13th of December and do you know why today is special?
4: Because on the 13th of December something very significant happened.
3: Okay, here's a clue. hmm um, it happened in
4: 1989. 1989, December the 13th. All yeah. right, all
3: right. Someone it, was born.
4: Well, let's see. 9909. 9, 9, 9, Taylor Swift.
3: That's right. Did you just guess that? I did. It's Taylor Swift's birthday. It's
4: it's the, it's the power of deduction, Amy. You yep. gotta you gotta kind of do what's what's out there. Did you see that we're talking about the seeing stuff uh-huh. and who's who's the hottest stuff to see right now? It's Taylor Swift, so that's what I put together.
3: Very nice. Thank Are you, you a Swifty?
4: No, my son is a Swifty.
3: Is he really? He has
4: seen her twice in concert.
3: Really? Where did he did he have the tickets that he bought maybe for four hundred dollars that turned out to be worth thousands?
4: Probably, because he saw her in Chicago and in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. He was at the same concert that uh, Travis Kelsey was uh, went to. And I told Johnny if he could have gotten backstage, who knows where who things knows? would be right now. <laughs> who knows? Yeah.
3: So do you think Taylor Swift is the reason that the Chiefs are terrible right now?
4: <laughs> no. <laughs> the reason that the Chiefs are terrible is that the receivers can't catch the
3: ball. <laughs> okay, I mean, Tyler Rosen, who's back. Welcome back, by the way. He has a bionic knee now. I hope that's not HIPAA. Violation.
2: <laughs> probably
3: is. it probably is. He's bionic, but he's back. He's, it's all good. He's blaming the receivers.
4: Oh yeah, they cannot catch the ball, and and they've got they just don't have the talent. And you put Tyreek Hill back on that team, and mm-hmm. they're probably you know ten and two right now. But it's uh, I as the things stand right now, the Kansas City Chiefs are not going to win the Super Bowl.
3: Is it possible that the Chiefs are terrible because of? the the lack of receivers and Taylor Swift. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) How is it not a distraction? I mean, okay, Patrick Mahomes, right, family man, his wife, Brittany, you know, is home with the kids, comes to the games with the kids. Suddenly, Brittany Mahomes isn't with the kids anymore. She's with Taylor Swift. She's out partying with Taylor Swift and Blake Lively and the other squad members, whoever's out there. Mm. What if Patrick Mahomes is thinking, man, my wife's—you well, know—she's out partying. Life has changed. I can't. Everything's all about Travis, and then he's distracted. And he's thinking about that, and he has no oh, receivers. Oh, I'm
4: sure. I'm sure uh, Taylor Swift is dancing through his brain as he's uh, being pursued by a defensive <laughs> end. Uh, I doubt that. I think. Uh, I do not right. think Taylor Swift. She may be responsible for a lot of things, but she's not responsible for the Chiefs' flagging performance.
3: All right. Fine, be that way. There you <laughs> have it. I'm blaming it all on Taylor uh, Swift. you go for it, Amers. Are you a Netflix guy?
4: Uh, we have Netflix. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't watch a lot of flicks.
3: So the Netflix just released its engagement report. Mm. The top ten of what people watched. Yes. Uh, from January to June of 2023. Yes. The Night Agent, Season One. Never heard of it. Neither have I, Tyler. Have you heard of The Night Agent? Have you heard of The Night Agent? No, he hasn't Nobody either. knows. Well, I guess we're not watching it. Hey, he's John Hancock. I am. I'm Amy Mark. She is. We have Rocky Sickman, Vice President of Folds of Honor, next after the news.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. hi And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs> but with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. will always be worth it.